it began as just an ordinary, meaningless day in his pathetic life. His sister woke him up to get him out of a house to a place where he could help make some money to contribute to the family. Uh, Getting ready was no small chore. When he was born, there was an injury resulted in him having no use of his legs and being very handicapped, the use of his arms and hands. He had what we would call today cerebral palsy. Every morning, his mother and sister would get him dressed in tattered old clothes. They didn't have much, but it wouldn't do to put him in his best clothes because then people might not have pity on him. He hated sitting there all day trying to look forlorn and sad. But what else was he to do? He had to help contribute to the family. You've seen the likes of him. They're at stoplights, our freeway exits and entrances where people have to stop, giving us time to read their words scrawled on cardboard boxes. Anything will help. Out of work. Give what you can. You want to help, but you wonder if you're helping or hurting. His family helped him eat a simple breakfast. Then his brother hoisted him on the family mule and took him down the dusty path to Jerusalem. The plan was to put him right in front of the temple where everyone would see him. They chose the best gate, the beautiful gate, 75 foot high doors, Corinthian brass that would lead through the wall, through the Gentile court, into the women's court, into the temple. There he'd cry out, a shekel for the poor, I can't work, look at me. Most people looked away like they didn't see him. Some hurled abuses at him, get out of the way. A few actually made eye contact with him and gave a coin or two. It was three in the afternoon. He only had a few coins. Looked like it was going to be another pointless day. His brother would soon pack him up, take him home. But just then something happened that changed his life. I'd like you to read the account, and if you'd like to follow along, In the Bibles we have under the seats, it's Acts chapter 3, page 1092. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The man looked at Peter and thought, what do you mean? Walk. I can't walk. That could have been the end of the story. 
Peter could have thought, I tried. It didn't work. The man didn't believe. Oh, well. But Peter took him by the hand and lifted him up. As he did, the man's ankles and feet were healed. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. It had to be something. I imagine people in the temple said, Hey, wasn't that the guy out begging? Now he's running around? Didn't you give him a couple shekels? See if you can get them back. He doesn't need them anymore. I love that Peter wouldn't let the man stay down. He pulled him up. You don't need people around you to comfort you who are just going to sit with you and tell sad stories with you. You need people like Peter who will pull you out of the pit. You need to get people around you who are stronger who are free. Lame people can't help lame people up. Addicted people can't help addicted people out. And depressed people can't help depressed people up. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This was not the only miracle that occurred in the early church. Luke also tells us, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Luke said miracles happened all the time in the early church. And people were amazed. And the church changed the world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When I compare Jesus' statement with the state of the church in the United States, I'm left with a problem. I can only come up with two alternatives. Option one, Jesus is a liar because the gates of hell do not seem to be prevailing. Or they they seem like they are prevailing against the church. Our country and our world are in disarray. And the church seems powerless to change it. You can see that. Maybe you're not a Christian. And you wonder if the church has any power to overcome the world. Or option two, the church that is being prevailed against isn't the church Jesus had in mind. Jesus did not promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against a church, but against his church. Run his way. This is the fourth in a series of messages called Unstuck, How the Early Church Changed the World. 
The question I am asking is why aren't we seeing the rapid growth, miracles, and change in the world like the early church did? Possibly like the man we met, we meet today at the beautiful gate. You come here today discouraged. You're going through tough times. Suicide could have crossed your mind. You need a miracle. How can we become a church where miracles happen, lives are changed, and many people come to Christ? We learn from our text today that faith in the name of Jesus can change the world. How can faith in the name of Jesus change the world? What do you and I need to do to experience change in our lives, change in our church, and change in the world? Let me suggest three things. One, put your faith in the name of Jesus. When the man saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he went through his routine of asking for money. His only hope was for them to give him a coin or two. Never crossed his mind that he would be healed. But Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Peter did not give him money. He gave him power in the name of Jesus. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. There's power in the name of Jesus. When our oldest son, Tad, was two, maybe three years old, Jory and I took a mission trip with 120 high school students to John Day, Oregon. We were doing a Bible school for a church there, but really, it was the whole town that came. And we were doing work uh, in, in the town. Well, one day, Jory came out. It was, it was uh, recess uh, for kids from the Haitian Bible School, and all the kids came running out to the playground. And uh, Jory was standing there talking to one of the high school girls, uh, one of the leaders of one of the classes, and Tad went up uh, the ladder to, uh, to a slide. It was too big for him, and it was on, slide, it was on asphalt. And as he got to the top, he began to fall backwards. And Jory just looked and she said, Lord, Jesus, help him. And just then, he said it looked like a hand caught him and brought him down a 180 and he landed on his feet. Uh, we have no doubt in our minds that God sent an angel in answer to Jory's request, Lord Jesus, an angel to protect him. 
Corrie Ten Boom tells a similar story. Corrie and her family uh, saved uh, scores of Jews during uh, uh, the, the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, they would confiscate ration cards and, and they would hide them in a little secret room in their house. Somebody told on them and so captain of the Nazi guard banged on their door one day. He burst in and he says, where are the Jews? She says, I don't. He said, where are the ration cards? I don't know what you're talking about. Where do you hide them? Where's your secret room? And he began to hit her and slap her and knock her down and she fell back against the wall. And he was about to strike her again and she just cried out, Lord Jesus, protect me. And his hand stopped in midair. He says, if you say that name again, I'll kill you. But he let his hand drop to his side. There's power in the name of Jesus. All you have to do is say his name and you call down his authority on whatever you're facing. Try it. Maybe you're not a believer. Or maybe you're a new Christian. Try this. Maybe you see one of your kids about to get hurt. Or you're driving and an accident is about to happen. Or you're on a call with a client and things begin to go south and you realize you're going to lose a sale. You just whisper, Jesus, help me. Call on Jesus' name. It has power. He wants to be involved in our lives, but he insists that we ask. People that rely on their own strength will not be blessed by God and not see his power. Power to change our lives and the world comes from calling on Christ's name. Whether you're a teenager, single, young married, parent or grandparent, faith in the name of Jesus can change the world. Two, give credit and praise to Jesus. After the beggar was healed, people came running to see what had happened. The guy was running and jumping, and it created quite a stir. Astonished, people gathered around Peter and John. Peter said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. People wanted to give credit to Peter, but Peter redirected their gaze to Jesus. Peter says, I don't deserve the glory. Jesus does. It's remarkable how many times Peter mentions Jesus in this sermon in Acts chapter 3 and also in his sermon in Acts chapter 2. He mentions Christ, including pronouns, 13 times in his sermon in Acts 2. And here in Acts 3, he mentions him 18 times. 
He redirected the people's attention away from him and the healed beggar to Christ. Uh, We live in a culture where we're used to evaluating everything, whether it's the pizza we ate, our Uber driver, the movie we saw, our friend's picture on social media. Everything is set up to enable us to critique and compare. So in the church, rather than marveling at the incredible mystery that we're part of Christ's body, we critique the leadership, the music, the programs, and the sermons, instead of noticing the power in Jesus' name. If everything we do is in order to get positive reviews, we can turn church into producing a show. Carrie, Beth, Chris, and I can think it's our job to put on a good show, and it's your job to show up. The show mentality can be dangerous for many reasons. For example, there's very little loyalty when it comes to a movie theater. You choose the theater that's closest to your home, the best price, and the movie you want to see. If you rely on a show to keep people, it had better be good. People get bored quickly. If you got them by putting on the best show, they'll go elsewhere when they find a better one. So we need to be crystal clear about what we're trying to do. We're not trying to put on the best show in town. Our purpose is to inspire people to follow Jesus. We do this by making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. We don't just make any kind of disciples. We want to make disciples who make disciples. In other words, we want people to become followers of Jesus, and they see that they're a player. They can make disciples of others. You can be brand new at your faith, but you can talk to Jesus, to other people about what Jesus means to you. You can be a person who's gone to church a long time. You can share answers to prayer in your life. You can invite them to church with you. That's what happened in the early church. 3,000 people became believers in one day. They were green. They were new. What did they do with them? They put them in groups in Jerusalem, and they put them in groups and sent them back to their home countries, and there they started churches. If the early church could do it, so can we. How do we make disciples who make disciples? One of the primary ways we do so is through our growth groups and discipleship groups. We have nine growth groups and three discipleship groups. We want to see everyone possible become become part of one of these. Important thing at Portland Community Church is not the show we put on on Sunday. We try to do a good job. But the big story is that we want every one of us to go out during the week and make disciples. You're the big story at Portland Community Church. And you minister in Christ's name wherever you go. If we want to see miracles in our lives and in our church, we can't take credit ourselves for good things that happen. I can't take credit for good things that have happened in my life and my family's. 
I can't take credit for good things that have happened at Portland Community Church. I don't draw people to Christ. I don't change people's lives. Jesus does. Every good thing that has happened at Portland Community Church is due to Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus can change the world. Three, repent of your sins. In the process of explaining how the disabled man was healed, Peter says about Jesus, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy Righteous One, that's Jesus Christ, and asked that a murderer, that's uh, Barabbas, be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He tells the people that they made a huge mistake when they crucified Christ. And they need to acknowledge their sin. Peter goes on, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter says when we repent of our sins, they're wiped out. It's like removing magic marker from a a whiteboard. God wipes the slate clean. I think one area where we need to repent is our lukewarmness toward Christ. We're lukewarm in our commitment to church. We come if we can. If something else is going on, we don't come. The average church-going Christian attends church 1.6 times a month. You say, I want to be there, but our kids have sports and other activities. Be careful. One day your kids will leave your home. Your job as a parent is to help your kids thrive in life. And I can assure you that their batting average, golf handicap, and college scholarship is not going to help them thrive in life. It will be their relationship with Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm scolding you. I mean, I I know about Sunday activities. A lot of our kids had tennis matches on Sunday mornings. But I'm saying, parents, you've got to make sure that kids' activities, you don't put them in place of the youth group and church, and you make sure you attend to their spiritual growth. I see many people choosing to opt out of church today. They're Christians, but they say, who needs the church? Apostle Paul tells Timothy something terrifying. I just discovered this verse, and uh, he tells about two men he excommunicated from the church. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. He told these two that he put them out of the church so that they might from the misery of being separated from the church, they might come to their senses, repent, and come back to Christ. Notice what Paul's doing. He's equating removal from the church to being handed over to Satan. It's crazy. But we live in a day when many people are voluntarily doing this to themselves. They're choosing not to come to church. And in doing so, they're handing themselves over to Satan. 
We've all sinned and we have scars in our lives because of things that have happened, but God can turn bad things into good. In 1820, a six-week-old girl was given the wrong medication for her eyes and she went blind. But rather than being bitter toward God, she listened to the counsel of her godly grandmother and she learned to memorize verses and then whole chapters, eventually whole books of the Bible. When she was eight years old, she wrote her first poem, Oh, what a happy soul I am. She continued writing until her death at age 86. During that time, she wrote between eight and 9,000 hymns. When she gave talks before groups, people were amazed. Their eyes were lifted to Jesus. They were just astonished by her, her story. Perhaps more people have come to Christ through her songs than any other author of music. Songs like Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, He Hideth My Soul, and Near the Cross. And thousands of others have ministered to millions of people. Her name, Frances Jane Crosby, better known as Fanny Crosby. Just as God turned the crucifixion into a resurrection, he turned a tragedy into, into her life into a story of what God can do in a person's life. God can turn the bad things that happen to you into good things if you let him. If we want to experience miracles in our lives and in our church, we will put our faith in the name of Jesus. Give Jesus the credit and repent of our sins. Faith in the name of Jesus can change the world. Faith in the name of Jesus can change your life. If you're curious about Christ, you've never asked Christ into your life, as we pray, you can tell him you believe he's God's son. He was raised from the dead and ask him to forgive your sins and come into your life. Father, thank you for this story. You inspired Luke to write about a miracle in the early church, healing a man. And Father, we want to experience those miracles in our lives. We want to put our faith in your name this week. I invite you to pray right now, just silently, whether you're at home or you're here with us. Tell God that you would like to experience the power in Jesus' name this week. And you're going to try calling out his name when you are in a need. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can ask him right now to become your Lord and come into your life, you pray. Father God, thank you that you are a powerful God. And if we put our faith in the name of your son Jesus, we can see power in our lives. Power over sin. Power to talk to our families and friends about you. Powers in, uh, over disastrous situations.